Welcome to How Did You Manage That, a podcast where we talk to music managers about their highs, their lows, and well, I mean, it's 2020, so probably quite a lot of lows, but welcome. Yeah, it has been quite a year. Uh, Thanks so much for listening so far to this lockdown series with brilliant reactions last week to our episode with Charlie, who manages the wonderful Joy Crooks. That was great fun to chat to her and hear about how her year's been. This episode, we are diving into the electronic music world with one of the brightest lights in management in the UK in that world, Sophie Bloggs. She's the manager of Hannah Wants, Corrupt FM, Danny Howard, the Radio 1 DJ, Crystal Clear, and a new act, Public Excess. She's part of the YMU group and she's winner of Breakthrough Manager of the Year 2019 at the MMF Artist and Managers Awards. So we chatted to her about, God, so many things. It was a few weeks ago we did the interview over Zoom, as always, and she was amazing chat, wasn't she, Soph? Yeah, she was incredible. And I think it's a really kind of poignant time to put this episode out, Ali, because where are we now? Start of October. And obviously the government in the UK has done a 10pm curfew for venues. As far as I'm aware, clubs aren't open still. Most music venues are shut. There's a massive call to arms for the government to try and provide some sort of support for people who their life, their career, their income comes from live music. And so particularly the electronic music industry, I feel is is a big industry around this, around DJs and, and clubs and, and everything that they do in, in the live world. Yeah, and the electronic music industry has been hit so hard by the lack of live events and the recent We Make Events campaign online calling for action from the government to look after not just, you know, the high profile acts, but really the people who make a living out of this, people that make these events happen, crews, the promoters, the venue owners who are just decimated by something that is entirely not their fault and what seems like a government who aren't paying much attention right now. Yeah, and if you want to support the We Make Events movement, then just look at the We Make Events hashtag on all socials. You can help by writing to your local MP for live events. You can sign petitions and you can just get involved with really supporting the live community. So if you're interested in doing that, just check out the We Make Events hashtag and the We Make Events official on Instagram. Right to your MP. It's a good thing to do. There's enough in the world to write about. You could write a letter a week at the moment, but this week, why not make it about that? <laughs> so I think more than anything, it's it's a good time to talk to Sophie and kind of find out how she's she's coped in in Corona world. And she's coped amazingly. It's great to hear in this episode all the things she's been doing with her artists, how she's been motivating them, how she's been driving them to still create or giving them that space to just chill out. She's got some amazing views on the proliferation of DJs live streaming at the start of lockdown and how that's panned out and whether that's financially beneficial in the slightest to anyone. Um, she talks she talks about her route into management and how she's worked with various different companies and how her kind of star has grown with the artists that she's managed. Um, and she's got some great stories from, you know, back in the day when gigs happened. And as always, halfway through the episode, we have another incredible tip from the amazing guys at Small Green Shoots. This week, it's from Lauren. Yep, if you enjoy those tips or you've got any thoughts on the episode, you can hit us up at ManageThatPod on Instagram or Twitter and we'll probably give you a a, a little reply. It's been good lately. There's been so many people messaging, giving us DMs, just, just saying hey and thanking us for the podcast and we really appreciate those and it's great to just connect with managers from all over the world. Um, So yeah, if you don't follow us, get on there. But yeah, let's get into it. This is How Did You Manage That with the brilliant Sophie Bloggs. 
So we are here today with Sophie Bloggs, who is a manager who works at the amazing YMU Group. She looks after some incredible artists, including Corrupt FM, Hannah Wants, the DJ Janie Howard, Crystal Clear. And I think if I'm saying this right, Public Excess you've just taken on. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Great. Great. So how are you doing today, Sophie? And more importantly, how how have you kind of coped in what is this kind of strange new normal that we're experiencing at the moment? Um, I'm doing okay today. I've um, been feeling a bit ill recently, not Corona. Um, <laughs> Disclaimer. And I suppose like, ev- yeah, like everyone, it's just felt quite up and down is the honest truth. Um, mm. I feel quite thankful that I'm part of a company and a team in where we have like consistent catch-ups where we're checking in with each other and I think without that I would really really struggle um because I'm used to working in a team the reason that I'm part of YMU and have predominantly worked for companies like I had a period when I worked independently but I like being part of a team I like having that um team ethos and support so to go from working in an office every day for extensive periods of time um to being on your own in your house is quite a change. Um, I've liked some aspects of it because I think like the nine to five or like the pressure of and stress of constantly being in London and like being in the office every single day, um, having an event in the evening, blah, 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 is probably a little bit too much for all of us. Um, combined with like traveling to work events as well on the weekends, you know, you do end mm-hmm. up working seven days a week quite often. So some of the slower pace of life I've enjoyed, um, but it has been a shock to the system because it's just such a drastic change. How have your artists found it? Because obviously you've got quite a different range of acts. And aside from the huge aspect of the live industry stopping, which we'll get onto, how have they found it kind of day to day? Hard. I think all of them individually have found it hard. Um, they've all managed to keep busy, mm-hmm. um, which has been a real blessing because I think without that they would have really struggled uh but the DJs that I represent who are first and foremost DJs and I'm speaking predominantly Hannah Wants and Crystal Clear here even though both produce music as well um really their careers are centered around their DJ touring schedule Mm -hmm. they've really struggled um Mm -hmm. Crystal Clear's like adapted in that he's his focus has has changed with the album project that he's now working on but um you know them not having that live side of things and t- traveling to different destinations every single weekend doing four or five shows a week is such an impact on their life um that it has been difficult it has been difficult um and yeah we just kind of all had to come together with the various teams that work across each different artists and you know, um, be as forward thinking as we can be when it comes to um, working on new ideas, keeping them active, keeping them relevant, um, whilst keeping a level of positivity, I think, because I think it's quite easy to like slump into that negative mind frame that, oh my God, this Mm. is not going to change for a while. Like, what are we doing? Definitely. I mean, that's one of the first things I had down as a question, you know, Obviously, there's so many negative things and a lot of things going on that, you know, we need to talk about and need to be discussed in the management community. But what one thing that you've kind of instigated since lockdown or in 2020 are you really proud of on that positive tip? 
with one of your artists or maybe it's something really, really small <laughs> and super boring and organisational or maybe it's some inspirational chat. What one thing are you proud of? Oh, gosh. Um, we can edit out the long pause, don't worry. <laughs> I feel like I've become... <laughs> God, I think gonna... No, I feel like I'm quite proud of how much closer I've become with my artists, given that we've actually had no physical right. contact, um, which does make it hard mm-hmm. because obviously a working relationship in any respect is, you know, without that physical co- physical meeting, like constant interaction, it, it does become hard. But I felt with all of my artists, I've become much closer. Um, I suppose with Danny in particular, we've just really honed in on what he's passionate about, which is his radio show. And first and mm. foremost made that, his priority Mm -hmm. and I think it has through the lockdown period because of that level of focus and lack of distraction on other in other areas it's really thrived and we've noticed that from his listenership to feedback within the industry and um yeah that's something that I'm particularly happy Mm -hmm. with I suppose great and obviously congratulations to him and you for that big slot announcement congratulations (laughs) thank you yeah so I think it's safe to say that of all the industries, all the types of genres of music and music industry, one of the industries that suffered the most is the electronic music industry, right? Because it's so reliant on touring and, you know, that kind of stream of income, if anything, for artists, as well as getting records out there, getting new fans, building mm-hmm. things. Um, have you... Yeah. spoken to anyone else within the industry yourself and have you come together as sort of electronic managers to try and support each other and figure out ways that you can get your guys back out there and doing you know kind of what they love which is being on the road I imagine yeah we have actually um I feel again quite fortunate that at the beginning of the lockdown period um several like whatsapp groups within the electronic community were set up and I was part of those and we were getting on weekly which turned into bi-weekly calls um just communicating about different opportunities that were arising whether they'd be paid streams or um small events in various different territories that you could actually do um properly um and everyone kind of lent on each other it didn't feel like a competition which obviously it normally is um but it it did it did feel like a community which was nice and um everyone was kind of taking the same standpoint on things and when I when I say that I mean like you know there's conversations about fee reductions from major festivals for next year to accommodate lack of income etc but then there's not always transparency from the promoter to the agent to the manager Mm -hmm. and we were communicating on that stuff so that everyone had a united front and we could really go to promoters with that um because you're right like the electronic community predominantly relies on income from the live sector um that's not to say that a lot of the artists or DJ slash producers don't make music, but it's not really um, consumed in the same way that like pop music is or black music is, you know, it doesn't really hit those levels of numbers on the streaming platforms, which you can earn income from um, in the same way, because it's not consumed without having the club culture. So it, it has been trying to find that balance and trying to be as innovative as you possibly can be. Um, which is hard, but it's it has been nice to see that we have come together. Like I've enjoyed that aspect of it definitely. 
And have you um, taken any of the sort of sets and things that your guys would do and trying to take them online and focus more on that kind of, you know, building that online community with the fans? I think I've seen quite a few sort of sets on Insta stories or various streaming services that kind of showcase some stuff. I'm a very torn on the streaming situation when it's come to lockdown and also prior to lockdown like I don't feel that you can create the same environment as you can within a club that you that you would on a streaming platform and I really stand by that so I haven't just fully transparent I haven't actively encouraged any of my artists to be proactive when it comes to their own streaming on insta story or anything like that because I I feel like it's quite an American mindset um Mm. like the incorporation of Twitch and various different companies like it just doesn't sit with me personally and my ethos towards that and that's not to say that I disregard anyone else doing it um I just have decided to work with a certain type of roster who also have the same ethos as me and we all feel collectively that it just doesn't encourage what we do and the reasons that we got into this um yeah it just doesn't feel right I mean that being said there have been little moments that we have done like there's been a beatport stream that I've had people involved in there's been um, various charity streams that I've encouraged my artists to get involved in um but it's not been it's not been at the front of what we wanted to do during this lockdown mm-hmm. It did, it did feel like at the start of lockdown that every DJ was just instantly on live streams, and yeah, I kind of, I kind of was a bit lost with it because you know I don't, I obviously not as involved in electronic music as you are, but it just felt like it was everywhere. And then you're like, okay, well, you see something like Boiler Room that's been around for years and is totally a very beneficial at various stages of a DJ's career. But then if everybody's doing it and everyone's trying to jump on it, it's kind of diluting the thing. And then if there's no money coming in through that, then it's like, well, that's kind of diluting everything. Yeah, exactly. I just think the setup hasn't been right in general and I still don't think it is quite right. And um, that really needs to be reviewed and looked at for from a long-term perspective because, you know, we're, we are in this for the long haul now. This isn't going to change overnight. Clubs aren't just going to come back into fruition in any territory tomorrow. Like, we all need to unite as an industry, not just the electronic industry, but the wider industry to work out how we can, like, actually earn money across the board in every respect to the artists, the us as managers, the agents, you know, there does need to be a more unique way of looking at it. And I think there has been moments that have been really well Mm -hmm. executed. Like I think the Tomorrowland stream was excellent. Um, As I said, Beatport, I think have executed it well. Um, But Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just a massive oversaturation. And I think like the desire for some DJs just to get on to Insta Live and DJ from their fucking bedroom <laughs> at like 11 o'clock at night on a Friday whilst they're getting pissed didn't really yeah. sit well with me when it, whenever, when there were like, you know, thousands of people no. dying around the world. It was just like, oh God. Um, but yeah. Moving on from that, how do you feel about the likes of um, electronic music being merged with the world of gaming? You know, obviously the huge example of that was a couple of years ago was that Marshmallow played to like allegedly 10.7 million people and then Travis Scott, more in the rap world, did it recently again. Is that something you actively pursue or is that a similar similar vibe 
to other streaming? No, I, I'm really for that, actually. I don't think it can be forced. I think the artist has to naturally mm-hmm. be a gamer. Um, otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm not no. also going to lie and say that I'm like in the gaming community because I'm absolutely not. You know, I left that behind when I was probably 13. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I totally see the benefits of it. I'm really fortunate that I have... Um, I work at a company where they um, employ two incredible brands, people who have those level of contacts. And mm-hmm. we are presented with opportunities that make sense for certain artists. Like we're having a conversation about Corrupt FM at the moment, actually, who are avid gamers. So it does make sense. Um, but yeah, I think if it's done in the right way, it's it's an interesting thing to do. And like, you know, when you're reaching those types of numbers that you can't currently by not being able to tour the world, then why the hell not? You know, like it's just a way to get out there. So if we take it back a little bit now before pre, pre-Rona, as I like to call it, um, can we talk a little bit about your career and how you started in music? I think I read somewhere that you did an internship at Fabric, but the label side of Fabric, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Um, I think I was 20. Yeah, I was 20. I was at uni and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I kept I kept changing my mind whether I wanted to get into TV production or whether I wanted to work in music because I was putting events on whilst I was at uni and I was basically putting dubstep raves on on a Thursday <laughs> night at uni in Loughborough. And um, while I was like trying to get into TV production, I was like, something's just not like sitting right here. Um, and then I took on an internship at Fabric it was predominantly to work on the label side of things, but um, because of the way that company runs or ran at the time, it was obviously quite merged mm. in that in the office. The people from the club were there as well as like the press team, et cetera, et cetera. So you could really get a feel of all of the different aspects of it. Um, and it was a prolonged internship as well. I did quite a few months, so I really got to get into it. And it was actually at the time that they opened the venue Matter, um, yeah. which at that time in London there were no like super clubs like that um so it was just so much fun and it made me think like yeah this is really what I want to do like I feel incredibly passionate about it I've never felt like this about anything before um so when I finished uni I heard of a job that was coming up at an independent record label dance record label and I just went for it straight away and somehow got it and then that was it and how did you make the transition from what is very much, I suppose, the label side into management? Was it because you experienced management and thought this is definitely what I want to do? Or was it kind of like you, you know, some people segue into it kind of by accident? Um, I suppose when I was at CR2 Records, I was able, again, to work in various different aspects of it. Like I was, we were trying, or Mark, who owned the company, was trying to set up um, an agency which was like, whilst we were doing the bookings of the artists, we were also handling some management parts of their career. So I was able to see different aspects of it through that. And I thought that was kind of where I wanted to go. Like, I think I did two and a half, maybe three years at the end, in the end at the label. And I just reached my peak of what I felt I could mm. achieve with a record label. Um, you know, I just, I was kind of like getting bogged down into all of the admin side of things and like whilst I was I was so lucky that I was able to travel a lot with that job um it just didn't feel as exciting and whilst I was on a few different trips I met some people and different artists who basically ended up working with and that's kind of 
that's kind of how it happened. I would be lying if I said it was like a thought out <laughs> timeline and plan as to like, oh, I'm going to work at a label and then I'm going to move into management. You know, it just kind of happened through <laughs> connections and like meeting various people and then realizing, oh yeah, I do actually like that part of it. Um, maybe I'm going to try that. And then it just kind of happened, I suppose. And you went to, I think it was 360. Am I right there? Yeah, I had like a little interim period between working at the label to 360. So I kind of like had some time on my own. I managed Yolanda Be Cool um when they had their hit we know speak americano which was like a really interesting process um and then i also like worked independently i was i also like yeah i worked independently and i was managing this artist called oliver dollar who had a record and defected that had just been picked up on radio one on the playlist and and the honest truth is i didn't really know how to work it at that level on my own um and I knew some of the 360 guys had like a low level conversation, which escalated quite quickly into why don't you bring it into the company and we can help you with it, which just felt like the perfect solution. And it was like, I learned so much. And from there I was working with Oliver Dollar and also then um, facilitated bringing Duke Dumont into the company and worked um, with one of the owners on that, which was just like a huge, huge learning experience that like, I'll just never forget really. I think it's really interesting that you said that, you know, you you knew that you didn't have the the experience at the time to take that artist where they needed to go. So you decided to, you know, form that partnership with 360. And I think there's a lot of managers now, particularly younger managers who are starting out, who might feel like that, but are kind of scared that, A, they'll be shown up by the, they'll sort of be shown up that they're not good enough to their artists so they don't want to say I need help mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. I think that there's some mm-hmm. slight worry about taking it in and then if you leave you can't take it with you kind of thing um so yeah what advice do you yeah. think you would give to maybe younger managers who are in your situation that you were in um well firstly I totally understand all of those anxieties because I think they're absolutely warranted like they're not gonna sugarcoat it I think there's different people in the industry who will fuck you over <laughs> when it comes to that um you know that is you know let's be real it's the music industry that stuff does happen um but if you're smart and you have a great working relationship with your artist you can navigate those situations you know you just need to be really strict when it comes to the deal that you're signing and um be transparent with the artist about what you want to achieve why you think you need to take it into a company and how it will benefit them because at the end of the day if you're doing if you're making a move that is predominantly to benefit them, then they should have a level of loyalty with you because you're showing them loyalty in return. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all for the greater good, you know, like sometimes we have to be aware that these things will work out and sometimes they won't. But like, as long as you're protected and you know your worth, um, I just don't see the. I, I would always go for it because I think you're going to always learn. Mm. I think as well, what's interesting is I spoke to a manager about that on the podcast a couple of weeks back and, and some of the advice was as much as, you know, you should be artist first, think about the benefit to you, everything you're going to learn from being in there, you know, from everything from royalties yeah. to record deals, to the legal side of things. Like obviously you hope that whatever happens, you'll be with your artist forever. But if that doesn't work out, then you've actually given yourself a huge yeah. knowledge base and a range of contacts that you might not have had if you kind of did it on your own. Yeah, exactly. That that's an incredibly important point. Like 
the doors that could be opened for you are so huge like you're right everyone has the desire to want to be with their artists forever or maybe they don't it's just like I definitely approach things from a personal perspective I've always done it I've always said to myself it's my flaw but it unfortunately is just the way that I approach work um and you know sometimes things don't work out you're not always with your artists forever but you have a door open to something else and that that can Mm. be even more important and as I said like you know for me particularly with the 360 example it actually didn't work out for me it didn't work out I wouldn't say sit here and say it was a successful working relationship long term but I think the skills that I learned and the contacts that Mm. I made out of that far outweigh it and that now that I've like had time to process it and I don't have my ego involved in it which I think is a massive aspect of what a lot of people do um I can see it for what it is and sometimes you have to have those experiences um we were there was it last year when you won the MMF Arts and Managers Award Breakthrough Manager 2019 which like you'd in one hand how did you feel about winning that being called Breakthrough when you've been in it a number of years (laughs) is that something you're like yeah well it does take time or were you like this is awesome obviously I was just really grateful I mean I was so shocked I didn't think that I would win so that kind of over overrode is that a word um let's just use it um yeah yeah. Yeah, it is now um that overrode everything else but um yeah like obviously you know I felt a bit I felt like a bit of a sham that I was in the in the mix anyway because I have I'm 32 you know I have been doing this since I was 21 um I'm very fortunate in that I've traveled the world. I've been to the Grammys, I've been to the Brits, you know, all of that stuff. So like, I do feel like I have a certain level of experience. Um, But obviously it's incredible to Mm -hmm. see that your achievements are not going unnoticed, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Um, Because, you know, we all Uh do work incredibly hard for our artists. And at the end of the day, we're in it for them to shine, Mm -hmm. not us. So it is, it is nice to have that like I'm not going to lie about it it's, it's a lovely feeling yeah I mean the the reason I picked that out was because I thought on, on paper because I think I just read an article with you that said you've been in the game for 10 years yeah. and I was <laughs> bring up that award and I was like but that is quite an important lesson because because it takes ages and I think when especially as Sophie was talking about a younger manager who's maybe got their first act or their first DJ and that is it they're pinning all their hopes on yeah. that and maybe it doesn't work out and then it's like okay I am going to back away from this industry but it's when you finish doing that one thing, that's when you've learned so much. Like you mentioned doing the deal with Duke Dumont, you know, that you've learned so much just in that period. Yeah. And it's a it's a long road, essentially. Yeah, it is totally. And like the biggest thing that I've learned is I was like that in my twenties as well. Mm. When I was twenty-five, I was like, oh, I have to be the biggest manager <laughs> in the world and blah blah blah. Why are all these people ahead of me? But it somehow seemed to all click when I turned 30. Um and you're right. I just think it. I just think it takes time, and you just have to be patient with it. And you know, sometimes it does work out for people on the first artist that they manage, and they're incredibly lucky with that. But actually, if you look at a lot of the biggest managers in the world who are associated with some of the biggest artists, they've had a lot of failures before that, and that is what has got them to this place. And that's just as important. It's interesting. Some people say that thirty is like the death of the ego. So they're like, that's when you kind of finally let all your you're where you think you should be and where you want to be go and you can kind of just see it for yeah. what it is and where you need to be, which I think is a really interesting phrase. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's true because I know a lot of people in their 30s in the industry who definitely have an ego, 
So I don't know if that runs true for the music industry. But, <laughs> yeah, but, true. yeah, it's a really interesting very thing. True, said, very true. You know, when you were younger, you were so hungry in a way for it, in in a, that you you just wanted to be the best. And I suppose, do you think when you were younger and you had knockbacks, you took them not as easy as maybe you would today and maybe you're a bit more zen about it and like if they want to leave they want to leave or if this doesn't work this doesn't work there'll be something else whereas when you were younger was it really like almost heartbreak to you when you had the the knockbacks oh definitely definitely like the personal aspect of it when I was younger was just just felt so much more intense than it does now and I don't think that's to do with the fact that I don't care about it as much now because I, I definitely do like the passion is so there still it's just I guess you just become a bit weathered, not weathered to it, but like <laughs> you're just prepared for it. You know, you're prepared for it in a different way. And you, you do accept mm-hmm. that you you can't expect every artist manager relationship to work out in a way that you want it to. Like sometimes you're going to just work one campaign with that artist or sometimes you are going to do the three albums that span their career. Like every di- every relationship is different. And I think you just have to be... Mm-hmm flexible to it and not hold on to too much otherwise you'll just drive yourself insane which um which of your acts was maybe the most unexpected partnership to you you know do you have a strategy when you're looking for an artist or has that have any of them just come out of the blue and you've gone whoa here we go i suppose the duke de mont thing was an interesting one because we worked together we didn't really work together but we just knew each other through work way before he was the number one hit maker that he became um and we had that personal relationship prior to it so when I joined 360 um we got back in contact or we were back in contact because of that and it just kind of happened as an organic thing it wasn't like it, it was just like it was just like an interestingly organic way it happened and I wasn't expecting it to but I was very grateful mm-hmm. for it um and I suppose again with Crupt FM, um, I knew them semi on a social level through friends, and um, had heard that they parted ways with their previous manager, mm-hmm. and um, just got a meeting set up, and it happened super quickly. Um, but we just seemed to gel straight away, and um, I don't know. I've never actually said this to the boys, so if they listen, I hope this is okay. But um, <laughs> I think they needed a female. They really needed a female, like a mother figure, to kind of whip them into, into shape. And and that's why I believe, or I feel personally, that the working relationship is so good because, like, that dynamic feels quite equal and it's nice. I found the Corrupt FM um, really interesting, actually, because I think from being in the music you're kind of known as a manager of electronic artists first and foremost and that seems to be you know yeah you know the the industry so well you know the genre so well it seems to be where your passion lies so the fact that Corrupt FM came on mm. came along and they took you on or you took them on sorry that was a bit <laughs> is a um, real testament I think to you as a manager and not just because of the particular genre you move in but because obviously you must have presented yourself in a way to them that meant that they thought you know she can handle anything I mean I imagine they might be there's four of them is there three of them I can mm. never remember <laughs> but they're like you know they could be a bit of a handful themselves so it's interesting that you know you said they needed a woman's touch maybe to bring that in line <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I I would agree with that, actually. Like, I think I am known, I am definitely known in the electronic industry. And 
it's interesting because when I was at 360, that's where I felt like my change happened in that, um, you know, I was excited by a company that first and foremost represented electronic music with Calvin Harris, Deadmau5, etc., who were at the top of their game, but also represented Frank Ocean, also could take on a client like Travis Scott. And I was like, mm. do you know what? You don't just have to be pigeonholed into a certain genre. I was feeling at the time, like, I don't want to just be on this hamster wheel of going to the same shows every week, um, putting together the same release plan that's just club orientated, you know. I felt mm. like I could achieve more than that. And and I could, and but it was just like pushing myself and having that belief. So when I went into that corrupt meeting, I'm sure they probably did think, looking at my roster, you just got DJs. Like you, you know how to work in the electronic world and you're probably at the top of that. But do you really know how to navigate the TV, film, pop world? Like maybe not, but I just felt like I owned it in the meeting and I, and I like have learned through various different experiences and not facts and, and working out what worked and what didn't, um, that you just need to approach it with confidence. And I felt like I knew that I could deliver on the project and I, and I want to deliver on the project. And that was like what I wanted to get across in the meeting when we, when we took the management artist meeting, like I can do this for you. I know that I can. Um, and I don't take bullshit. And I think that's what, I think in general, that's why artists choose to work with me because um, as much as people like to have their egos massaged, (laughs) actually, I think artists really will respect you in the manager role if you can tell them no. That is, to me, the most important part of an Mm -hmm. artist-manager relationship. Being able to call someone out where they're speaking too badly, um, they're not delivering the right type of music, you know, they're not being as flexible as they should be, they're asking for too much money, you know, that kind of stuff, that is just as important as encouraging them to hone their craft. Like, I, I think they have to go hand in hand. It's truly like being a parent to a child you never kind of wanted in yeah. that way. <laughs> it definitely, definitely, like, goes into the maternal role, that's for sure. So when you said you spoke to the guys and, and you thought that they would think, you know... Um, you know, you don't have any experience in TV or the other deals that we kind of do. How did you actually navigate that when you did take them on? I mean, did you have any prior experience in doing TV deals or things like that? Or did you just know that you could work within an organisation that kind of had that experience so you could bring all hands on deck when you needed to to do that for the guys? Yeah, and that's exactly how we pitched it to them. Like we put a lot of time and effort into putting a pitch and a plan together that was a two to three year plan we knew that they had the film coming up and they wanted to still do their live touring. And we, um, when I say we, like, because I've, I'm so lucky that I have like a brand's team that I can lean on. I've got assistants. Um, I've got a streaming person. We've got two incredible digital people who work within the company. Um, we all kind of pulled together with various different team meetings to put together this pitch and um yeah I just made the suggestion that if you really want to build your life and you know headline festival stages which is totally doable we need to have an album that's driving this and I know that I can get you an album deal because there's so much there to work with um and they just loved it like they were like okay we've never really had a plan like this before this is kind of what we were lacking so I think it was just more about joining the dots but also making them aware 
we are an organization and there are various different departments that we can lean on if we want to like they came with a tv agent who is incredible and we work alongside now um and there was never like any discussion about moving that Mm. into us or anything we were like it's all totally separate but we're here if you need anything Hey guys, hopefully you enjoyed this episode, but as always, we like to break it up with another amazing music tip for you from an incredible charity we love working with, Small Green Shoots. Here is Lauren. Hi, my name is Lauren. I'm a community arts apprentice at Small Green Shoots, and my chosen artist is Shay Universe. She hails from London via Nigeria, and she is amazing. Her voice is like actual butter, like it's smooth (laughs) and I love her music because I feel like one of the constant themes throughout all of her tracks is really recognizing your worth and also making sure that everyone else knows it too. Um, Her latest release is a song called Levels, it's really amazing and I love the visuals, it's paying homage to a bunch of different musical icons, all female including one of my faves Lil' Kim. You won't regret checking it out and also check out Small Green Shoots on social media and online. Thank you. Ah, thanks so much to Lauren and the Small Green Shoots team for delivering us a new music tip. If you haven't heard Shea Universe before, get online and check her out. She's got some brilliant videos on YouTube and her Instagram account is full of goodness. Right, so let's get back into the episode, part two of our chat with Sophie Blocks. Let's uh, chat about sort of emerging electronic artists and DJs. this year has obviously messed everything on the planet up. But when you're working with a younger artist or, you know, what advice would you give to a younger artist in breaking through? Because sure, there are a hell of a lot of indie bands in the world, but man, there's a lot of DJs. There's so many bedroom producers. How? What's? Where do you even start to stand out? Um, I think first and foremost, you have to be super confident in your style of music and really, really own it. Um mm-hmm it you can't just you know the thing with electronic music and what I found just from a personal perspective working in it for 12 years is the commercial aspect of what people are drawn to changes over the years you know EDM tech house house um mm-hmm. it goes in cycles and it will always keep coming around no do I think EDM is going to come back to the way that it was no probably not but there will be an aspect of it somewhere but you as an artist I think you can't flip between the genres you have to really know what you're producing and you have to stick to that so that people can understand your identity because that's what it's about now it's not just about making the odd tune that goes on the radio it's about creating a brand for yourself and that comes with consistency um I also think like it's quite hard to answer this question uh without taking into consideration the current climate because you know, we are in a time where there are no, there is no live activity, mm-hmm. there's no clubs. And obviously I see it from the front line, which is Danny and his flagship dance show on Radio 1, which is really like mm-hmm. where you want to be heard. Mm-hmm. That's where you want your music to be heard. And more than, more than ever, um, curators and tastemakers are looking for something a little bit different. You know, that's standard club tracks is just are just not cutting it anymore because they don't translate they can't live any longer than one play and curators at stations like radio one and wherever else 
are there to break artists. Mm. That's what they're there for. That's what Danny got into it for because he wants to be involved in breaking an artist long term and helping build their career. And if it's just a one, if it's just a track that's going to be played once, is that going to do it? Probably not. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is the music has to come first and foremost. I still think that is that is the most important element of it. Would you um, say that being a woman in the electronic music industry has been a benefit to you or have you come up against some obstacles because of your gender? It's the weird word to use, but <laughs> there we go. Oh, yeah, I've definitely come up against obstacles. Like when I first started working, there were no other women that I could talk to. Like there was just no one, you know, other than like at very senior positions that I didn't have access mm. to at that time. Um, so you just kind of felt very alone and it really influenced how I approached things um I suppose like my experience at 360 was quite a changing point for me as well because whilst there was definitely men and women working in that company which I really like respect them for I felt that it was predominantly men in the senior position Mm -hmm. and females in the um lower position I suppose and that was something that I was always fighting against and I suppose in the end became my demise because I was I felt a little bit too vocal about it and I can see that now I I was too like aggressively vocal about it um that could be right or it could be wrong but I just feel like in general um and this is a generalization so I just want to be clear on that that's just this is just a generalization but if a woman approaches something in work where I suppose they've got a bit of an aggressive tone or they are slightly flippant in their response, it's seen as emotional. It is seen mm. as, um, oh, you're on your period. Are you on your period? You know, whereas if a man responds like that, and I've had this time and time again, I've had this so many times. If a man responds like that, they are given respect. I have seen this countless times and I've really come up against that in my career because I've been working in a predominantly male dominated industry like yeah it's becoming more balanced now but it's still not balanced like it's definitely still not balanced and that's why I feel that I try and employ wherever I can as many feel as many females as I can because I just personally enjoy working with females more brilliant um on your artist, what are you looking forward to next? Although there is a, there's a lot of hurting at the moment. What's going on with, you know, what's up, what's Hannah up to now? Is there anything on the horizon? You're like, I cannot wait for that to happen or that to come out. Yeah, I mean, I'll just run through all of them because I feel like I can't pick one. But um, <laughs> Hannah has been so incredible in the studio during this period. It's really given her time to focus on her productions. And for the first time ever, particularly since we've worked together, but I know since she's really got into this we have got a full release schedule with a like slightly different genres of music building into the more commercial next year and I'm so excited for everyone to hear it like we're getting consistent radio support it's it really feels like it's building in the right way so I'm super happy about that um Danny is just thriving like his radio show as I said before is that is at the peak of where it's been at so far and it's just going from strength to strength you know we've got ideas of something that we're launching online um he is trying to champion new artists as much as possible and the label that he has called nothing else matters is also going from strength to strength 
the Corrupt Boys, we've got the film and the album coming out next year. Um, we sold out a weekend in Amsterdam in like a matter of hours. Huge. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the Corrupt Boys, we've just got so much going on, which I, I can't even tell you all of it because it's just all so exciting. We've got their podcast coming up. Um, there's loads. Um, Crystal Clear, we've got the album, which he's just put 110% effort into. We recently signed a publishing deal with a major publisher, which I think he probably thought he'd never have access to. So I'm incredibly happy for him on that. Um, and then Public Excess, we've just set up a distribution deal for their own record label. Um, they've got a massive track coming out next year on on uh, Because Music which features an artist called Alawea. And we're kind of like, we've built the strategy into that single coming out. So I'm just excited for the world to hear them because they're just a really unique prospect in what they do. And um, I'm glad I'm on board. Uh, considering it's 2020, that's um, some killer moves from all of them. It's great to see so yeah. much going on. Um, one thing I was going to ask you, just to pick your brains on, how do you see the business of remixes? And how do you approach that from your artists? Um, well, it's come up a lot more during this time because um, obviously it's one of the only sources of income. <laughs> uh, again, I've always been quite torn on it because from my perspective, when a major label approaches an artist for a remix and they pay a certain level of fee, Sometimes I worry that that doesn't actually equate to how well it's received, um, which is such a shame because it's definitely not come from our side. Like I always try and um, influence, I suppose, the marketing aspect of it and, you know, say that there's more that we can do with this. But I feel like labels are sometimes a bit narrow-minded when it comes to executing it and um, they just see it as like a bit of a tick box within a campaign which is a shame because it can really give life to a song in a different mm-hmm. way um, and expose it to so many different fans that haven't actually already heard it um, but yeah when it comes to my roster like I'm just constantly having conversations with all of the major A&Rs uh, on the major label world as well as the indie world just making them aware of the newer productions that they've got. Cause I've always found that the best remix, um, I'm going to say collaborations, even though collaborations isn't the right word, but the right remix partners, partnerships with the artist and the remixer always come about from the original material from the remixer. So it's just the A&R understanding that type of music and knowing that the remixer or producer can deliver that mm. level of remix. Um, I just use this one reference, but like when Scream did that remix of LaRue, Oh, yeah. um, in for the kill which is when I um, yes. when I was into dubstep and when I put parties on like that for me was when I realised how you can really make the most of a remix and it's just a shame that it doesn't happen in the same way anymore I think the mm-hmm. only other one that I could tell you is the DJ Kotze Lapsley one which was also huge but other than that it's just not approached in that way and it's a shame because it can give everything so much more life oh the major labels with their little remix packages what fun that is isn't it <laughs> i know yeah i, know. I, I do some I radio know. plugging and it's always the question we get it's like um who, who can do a big room remix for us Soph? and i'm like yeah i mean do you do, really do we need it I like know. you've already got five other remixes of this record like it's just like <laughs> The most random thing ever, but it always oh, makes me I know. chuckle. It's painful. Yeah. 
always good. Um, just a quick thing I wanted to ask you actually, which I haven't put on my notes, is I saw on Instagram, I think it was yesterday or the day before, um, which is amazing, is Hannah put up that she's been five months sober. Yeah. Which I think is is obviously amazing and incredible. I know obviously touring, particularly for DJs, electric music artists, is very, very, especially in club world, nightclub world is very heavily surrounded by alcohol and other temptations, shall we say. So how do you work with your artists I suppose to support them and their mental health had you find that what's going on in the world right now and the fact they can't tour has allowed them to step back and and be a bit healthier or are some guys kind of already quite healthy about that or how do you kind of deal with those sort of aspects which particularly I think in touring if your electronic artists come up quite a bit yeah I mean there's no denying that um the party side of the electronic industry go hand in hand with the touring and that's really really detrimental to anyone's health like whether you're the artist touring or whether you're the manager the tour manager Mm -hmm. anyone involved like it it really does take it out of you um I suppose my (laughs) I think it's about balance personally that you know you can't maintain a lifestyle where you're constantly on the go partying and doing everything else um, and expect to have a sane state of mind. Mm. Um, It's just not feasible. So I just encourage my artists as much as possible to have that level of balance that they want to achieve. Like Hannah, as an example, um, has taken a certain route for health reasons like I'm, I, I know this is in the public eye but she had breast cancer several years ago um, which massively impacted how she approached her career and mm. all I feel that I've been able to do is just be supportive in that you know I never the way we approach touring now is only two shows a weekend there's none of this four or five shows with like no sleep in between Mm. planes and stuff like that because that is something as your as the artist team I think is really really important to insist on at the end of the day it's very hard to say no to money and offers like it's it's incredibly hard to be that person saying no and sometimes you have to step in and be the voice of reason and say like this isn't going to be helpful for you and your health the health has to come first um And I've learned that over the years. I've really learned that when I've seen like people take on too much and and how it's, it's affected them. Um, so yeah. And then we have, um, a therapist on hand at YMU, uh, Martha, my colleague actually set this up within the company last year. Um, it's the first company in the UK who offer this level of service to their artists. And so we have that ready as a support system should anyone want to take it on and also just like naturally encourage them to speak to the therapist um if they want to like obviously there's no pressure but if it makes sense then it's there definitely I think it's quite amazing people forget when you when you're talking about DJs in particular and anybody who plays clubs is if you're a pop artist you can play the O2 and be in bed by 11 if you choose to do you know what I mean like this finishes at 10 30 get in the cab go home but you know if you're (laughs) doing promo out and about and then you have to go get some sleep and then your set time's at two and you're not finishing till five like that's almost not meaning to make it sound like other artists don't have a harder time touring but that is even to start with just your basic your body clock is really going to try and it mess you up a bit so it's really interesting that you know I think you're taking those steps to make sure that they're balanced like you said with Hannah making sure that her schedule is what she needs keep her healthy which is really important yeah definitely like 
you know, I've seen it. I've, I've just seen it with my own eyes, how people have deteriorated because they've taken too much on. And it's really sad. It's really, really sad. And I would never want that for anyone that I work with. Like work is important and success is important if that's what you want. But at the end of the day, we only get given mm. one life and we can only, we're accountable for it. And like, I would, I would just never forgive myself if I felt like I'd pushed an artist too much to do too much. And it, and it, ended badly like it's just not worth it you know um and you're right like people don't recognize that sometimes they have to start playing at four in the morning and don't finish until seven Mm. in the morning and then get on flight to another country like it's not it's not a healthy lifestyle um but I like that now as opposed to when I first started it's just way more normalized that artists and um whoever it is in the industry don't drink they're Mm. completely sober like when I first started it was kind of like what you're not having a drink you're at the show like why would you not have a drink because I'm not a massive drinker either like I like it in I like it in uh proportion but like I I, you know yeah I just am not a huge drinker so I feel a bit embarrassed I used to feel a bit embarrassed if I didn't want to have a drink at a show um so it's nice now that there's more people that do that and I think it's healthy for the industry definitely let us wrap on three questions which I think are really important questions I'd love to get from any manager but from you in particular obviously the first one is what is your biggest challenge to date you think um this is an artist specific but I've I have found the gender thing hard to navigate Mm. through the years because I felt as I said in the beginning I just didn't have anyone to lean on when it came to it like obviously I had women in my life from a personal perspective but I didn't from a professional and that was really challenging in the beginning because it affected how you approached everything whether it came to how you spoke to the people in your company to your artists to how you dressed at show or do you know like things that you shouldn't really have to consider Mm. but you did um so that was really hard in the beginning. And I suppose I'm just thankful now that I do have more women that I can lean on and um, go to. And and one thing I would say is Ian, who is my boss and took me on as originally part of machine management and now YMU, has been so prolific when it comes to e- equality. Like when I started at Machine, there were equal men and women in the room of every position. And he's maintained that throughout. And he's so he always pushes it he always always pushes it and what I found previously is um yeah men have tried to take um credit for some of the work that I've done and unapologetically whereas Ian has always always pushed for me to have the credit for my work even to the point of like I felt slightly embarrassed about it but um (laughs) you know I can't thank him enough for that because that's a real that's a real testament to a boss. Like it just shows that it's not an ego thing for him. And I think that is rare to find that in the music industry. And the second question is, what do you think, I'm going to frame it, what's your biggest success story or maybe what are you most proud of? Oh, that's so hard because (laughs) I am proud of everything that I've worked on, even though not all of them have been successes. Like, um, (laughs) yeah, Um, you know, I have actually dabbled in the live world a little bit, but um, Obviously, like having Duke headline as a live electronic artist at Coachella was a huge moment wow. for me. Um, and it was such a, a massive amount of work that went into it. 
that when you saw it, it was just like, I can't explain the feeling. It was just incredible. And then to get the great feedback off the back of it as well was, was huge. You know, it was huge. Um, and Danny as well, like we've worked together for over five years now. Um, which is actually just my longest relationship in general. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the amount of no's that we had at the beginning of his, of us working Mm. together, which now is just totally different is, is, is just amazing to see. And he really deserves it. He just really deserves all the success that he has because he works so hard and yeah, it's, that's probably one of them. One of them. And the final question that I'd like to ask, which takes you away slightly from thinking with your, your manager hat on here, unless you want to think with your manager hat on and promote one of your own artists. But what song wasn't okay. what song wasn't a hit, but you think it should have been? Have you got like a song and you're like, oh, that was such a banger and it never did what oh, it needed God. to do. And like, I'm sure there's hundreds <laughs> in your head, but we always put people on the spot and ask them this and they're like, oh God, if it makes you feel any better. Ad- oh my if it God, makes you- I can't think of anything. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, Adam from the Chainsmokers who we interviewed a couple of weeks back chose a Chainsmokers song. So you have no, there's no shame. Yeah. If you want to choose one of your own, you can. <laughs> is, there, is there a song that you maybe worked on and you thought should have been massive, but just didn't quite make it? Um, this is like I don't know if you remember this one but there was this producer called Mosca and he had a track called Bax which was on a right. label called Numbers which I kind of work with um, oh yeah I know Numbers and this track was like bubbling in the underground and off the back of it he got a residency on Radio 1 and like mm-hmm. everyone thought it was a hit oh my god I've just thought of another one as well actually do you remember this track called Hackney Parrot yes how random <laughs> yeah and I remember hearing it in the clubs and I was like this is when I used to go to clubs um, and I was like this is a fucking banger that's definitely going to go on the radio and it just never really took off um, but I remember it was like such a bum fight for people to license it all the majors wanted to license it as well it just never really happened but yeah that was a big one Hackney Power we'll put that one up <laughs> I'll have to find it somewhere right well Sophie thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us uh, we're glad you're feeling better this week um, well done for everything you've achieved today and, and good luck with going forward uh, you're smashing it and it's just amazing to get your insight. Thank you for coming hanging out. Thank you for having me. So big thank you to Sophie for coming on and and being on this episode. Um, Everything she said was just so poignant for what's going on in the world at the moment. And um, I loved loved her energy. I loved the fact that she thought she felt she was actually feeling closer to her artists. I think that's a really important point. And also so much just like knowledge about, you know, how she came up and the different lessons she's learned. I loved it. If you've got any thoughts on the episode, hit us up on Instagram or Twitter. It's at ManageThatPod. And if you haven't already, if this is your first time with the podcast please do subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify anywhere else you get your podcast we'll be back in your feed in two weeks time with another episode bye